0: to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now let's get to grinding. Hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Stay Grounded Podcast where we interview incredible people and take their life lessons and knowledge and help you create amazing lives for yourself. Today I've got someone incredible on, on board. I've got Miss Natalie Cogan. Natalie is an entrepreneur, speaker, and author on a mission to help millions of people cultivate their happier skills by making simple. Scientifically backed practices part of their daily life. That was super scripted. So I'm definitely gonna let Natalie chime in and expand more on what she does. But Natalie is also the CEO at a company named Happier, where she does exactly what the company sounds like it does. Um, she creates products, experiences, and material to help people be happier every single day. And she is an amazing person, super awesome. Without further ado. Hello, Natalie. Hello, Raj. I'm
1: so excited to be here.
0: I am beyond excited to have you here. Um, So before we dive into the meat of the podcast and really getting to know who you are, I'd love if you could just in your own words, introduce yourself to our audience and listeners and uh, yeah, we'll go from there.
1: Awesome. So uh, I thought you did a great intro, but um, so... My life's work is to help people make tiny, tiny, tiny changes to their routines of their everyday lives, to live a fuller, happier, more meaningful life. That is my life's calling, and it's an unexpected one. Uh, So I grew up, just as a little background, I grew up in what used to be the former Soviet Union Uh, and I came to the U S as a refugee with my parents when I was 13, we lived in refugee camps on the way here and ended up in the projects in a little town called Ypsilanti, which is outside of Detroit. So I had this kind of very rough beginning to my American dream and it directly brought me to this life's calling to help millions of people be happier because my first attempt to find happiness failed miserably, even though I worked my butt off to get there. So originally I thought we all become happier if we achieve a lot of amazing things in our lives. And I say this in my intro because I think it's really important to come out and say to people that the reason, you know, I'm not a PhD, right? I don't have uh, a scientific background. And so I often start this way in my intro because I want to make sure that everyone listening uh, knows why I think you guys should listen to my advice. And there's a a fantastic saying that... um, Those uh, The best teachers are those to whom the material they teach did not come easily. And the material I am teaching about how to live a happier life by making tiny, tiny changes in your day did not come easily to me because I tried to find happiness through every possible channel and I ran in all the wrong directions. So my attempt to find it through achievements... Uh, failed miserably, but I tried very, very hard for two decades. And I did achieve a lot of things. We can talk about them later. I had a very successful career in business and entrepreneurship. And what brought me to the realization that happiness isn't something we find in the future, it's not this euphoric state of being, but rather it's a daily practice that consists of making these tiny, small changes in our everyday lives was my hitting a wall um, and burning out trying to achieve my way into happiness and discovering research on gratitude and kindness and self-care and a sense of meaning and really being amazed at the fact that it's really the simple things, the small changes the micro habits, that those are the ones that are scientifically proven to make a long lasting difference. And I resisted all this for a long time. I thought I was way too sophisticated for all this. You know, I was way smarter than all this research. You know, I was really attached to my ego and my judgment. But as soon as I started practicing these practices, which I know we'll talk about, uh, it fundamentally shifted the quality of my life, which eventually led me to quit my high profile executive, Career. I was a uh, executive at PayPal at the time and to create happier, which is what I do. And our mission, as Raj, you said, is to, it's really simple, but really audacious, is to inspire millions of people and give them the tools to make these very simple, scientifically proven habits part of their days so that. They can thrive so that they can find happiness in their day today instead of struggling to find it somewhere in the future. So that's, my, that's what I do. And there's many ways I do this. So at Happier, one of the first products we launched was um, our Happier app and it's available today. You can download it. Um, For your iPhone, it's in very early alpha on Android. There was a bunch of bugs, but check it out. More than a million people have now used the Happier app to share moments of gratitude um, and to create a gratitude habit. And it's been a life-changing experience hearing how it's this tiny, tiny habit, if you stick to a daily, how it's changed people's lives. Um, we also now have a Happier at Work training program that I do and my most exciting, and I have to be a little self-promoting here because I'm so excited about it, but my first book uh, is coming out on May 1st and it's called Happier Now, How to Stop Chasing Perfection and Embrace Everyday Moments, including the difficult ones. And I want to talk about that later.
0: Thank you so much for that, Natalie. You did way better than I did. So um, yeah, no, thank you. Uh, And just to add on to what uh, Natalie, Natalie knows what she's talking about. Um, She's been up and down through the roller coaster of life, entrepreneurship, um, struggles, um, and she's a highly sought out keynote and TEDx speaker um, She's been everywhere and I'm just so grateful to have her here. Um, so I'd love to dive in and, and start touching on, on some of the uh, expertise that you mentioned. Um, so let's, let's, let's look at, uh, I want to talk about your personal routines and how a lot of this stuff fits into your life. So um, how do a lot of these happier principles, or, or if you could walk us through what your daily routine looks like, I think that would be a really great way to just segue into, into a lot of these concepts.
1: Awesome. I think that's a great place to start because one of the things that took me a very long time to discover, but once I discovered that was the piece that fundamentally shifted the quality of my life was thinking about happiness not as a feeling, but as a practice. So, as a skill, as something that can be improved the more you do it. And that actually was, if you think about it, like it seems like a simple distinction, but it's incredibly empowering, right? So, if we all recognize that. There are these simple practices and we can just do them and that will bring us more happiness and well-being. Well, it's available to everybody. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or male or female or entrepreneur or a writer. You can start doing this anytime. And one of the things that I love about all this research that I've done is none of these practices that are showing and research to improve your life, none of them require more than a few minutes a day. And I know how busy all our listeners are. You are busy. I'm busy. So that was really key for me. So with that kind of foundation to think about happiness as a skill, as a practice versus kind of a a feeling, it actually led me on this journey as I explored many of these practices to create uh, a daily routine. And I call them my daily anchors. And actually, that's the big piece I do in my book is... I ask people to explore all these different practices and create their own set of daily anchors. And the word anchor is also really important because one of the things that I've gained from having this consistent happiness practice is the ability not just to find more joy in my everyday moments, which is amazing, right? Because it means that every day I find joy, not just the peak days or the amazing days or the exciting days. But this other piece, which is the resilience to get through challenging times in our lives. And I think that's even more important because research showed this, my own experience showed this, that when we have this daily anchor practice, when we make these little practices a consistent part of our routine, and when we get into a life storm, which let's admit it, all of us do, it's not possible to have a perfect life where nothing happens, those practices become the anchors. So not only do we feel happier, but we actually gain more resilience for tough times. So with that as background, here are my daily anchors. So I have five, um, coincidentally, there are five in my book. Uh, But again, these five, they only take a few moments. So here are my daily anchors. Uh, The first is... um, what I call being still and silent. So I do meditate for 20 minutes a day, but I actually didn't start out meditating. Uh, I was very intimidated by this. I considered myself a person who could never sit still. If you talk to my parents, they'll they'll be shocked. They're shocked that I meditate because the funny joke around our house was, if I can sit still for 10 seconds, you know, the world will explode because I just was not a person (laughs) who could sit still. So when I began, I would read about all the benefits of meditation. I just couldn't get myself to do it. So I reframed it and I said okay, forget about this meditation. Can I just be still and silent for a few moments a day? And that in and of itself is incredibly powerful because what that practice allows us to do is to learn to observe our thoughts and feelings rather than participate in our thoughts and feelings. And by the way, one of the big misconceptions that I used to have about meditation that I want to share, because I think many people do, a lot of people come to my workshops, they tell me this, When we meditate, the goal is not to have no thoughts. This is what I thought. I thought meditation meant I'm in this blissful state and I have no thoughts and there's purple unicorns everywhere. Okay, forget the unicorns. But you know what I mean? I thought meditation meant like total Zen of the mind.
0: Right. So every
1: time I would do it, I would have 75 billion thoughts and I'd be like, okay, I'm failing at meditation. I'm never going to do it. But in fact, the purpose of the practice of being still and silent or meditating is simply to observe your thoughts, is simply to create, to cultivate that part of us that's the witness that gives us the ability, not just on our meditation cushion or in the chair when we're being still and silent, but throughout our day to learn to not react so much to things that happen, but to have a little bit of a pause, to have a little bit of a space to connect to that inner observer. So we can actually see things how they are. So we can practice acceptance. So like I said, I do meditate now for 20 minutes every day. But for years, I did not get to 20 minutes. So I would just spend a few moments. And you know, a great time to do this. And I'm not just saying this because this is a coffee company. I I drink a cup of coffee or tea every morning. And at first, when I started this practice, I made a rule for myself that as I brew my coffee or tea, I don't do anything else. I'm just still and silent. So it takes about three minutes. That was my practice. I would stand at my kitchen counter, not check my phone, not do anything else. That was my still and silent practice to begin with. So that's my first daily anchor. The second one is the practice of gratitude. And this is where I began and it continues to be a critical daily anchor. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there's more than 11,000 different studies that have shown that if there is one habit that we all adopt to improve our physical and emotional well-being. It's the practice of gratitude. Wow. The reason it's so powerful is because um, our brains, unfortunately, have a negativity bias, um, which means that we're much more sensitive to anything negative in our lives. And... It's really annoying that our brain does this. It's kind of a bummer, but it's not doing this to be annoying. It's doing this because it's kind of a self-protection mechanism.
0: Right, right.
1: right? Danger comes with a negative stimuli. And so the brain is constantly scanning our environment for anything negative. We notice negative things, right? In ourselves, in our environment, and people we're around. And gratitude is essentially the antidote to that. So gratitude, the practice of gratitude is literally to ask our brain to get off of this autopilot of negativity and to appreciate something that is good in our life today. So one of the two things I want to say about the practice of gratitude, it's really important that we capture our gratitude in some way, write it down, put it in the Happier app, take a photo of it, share it with a friend. Because if we just think it, our brain is fantastic at ignoring it. So we have to capture it in some way. And the second is we have to be really specific. So um, I'm really grateful to be alive is not great because the brain's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, A better one is I am really grateful that I'm enjoying this warm cup of coffee or it's sunny outside when I go outside or I'm really grateful that yesterday my friend texted me just as I was feeling down. The more specific we can be, the more our brain registers the gratitude, the more powerful our gratitude it is to counter this negativity bias. So I put my gratitudes in the Happier apps. Sometimes I even write them in my journal. So that's my second daily anchor. So the first is being still and silent to practice a little bit of that witness cultivation and acceptance The second is gratitude. The third is intentional kindness. So, you know, I don't think I need to tell our listeners that we feel awesome when we do something kind for other people, but I think we've all grown up with this, you know, this expression, like random acts of kindness, right? And that's awesome. But what I'm asking you to do and myself to do is be intentional about it. And what do I mean by that? So, um, when I do my daily anchors, I usually do this, the, all of them in the morning, but Uh, If I can do something kind, then I'll do it. So uh, I write my daughter these notes for her lunchbox and I do it every day. She's 13. I've been doing it since she was five. That's my daily kindness practice. If I can do it for some reason, maybe a text a friend and I'll be like, just check in. But if I can't do something kind, I'll actually schedule it on my calendar. I'll actually pick a moment later in the day and schedule, do something kind. I love that. Right? And it's funny, like when I've told people, they're like, well, that's kind of weird. And I'm like... When well, we schedule meetings, we schedule like to do's. Why is kindness less important, right? Like, so again, there's tremendous amount of research that shows that even the tiniest act of kindness floods our brain with oxytocin, which is known as the hug hormone. We release it when we hug someone. It makes us feel really, really good. But I think it's so much more than that. I think every time we do something kind to someone else, we actually, remind ourselves that we're not alone. We remind ourselves that we have these connections in our lives. And that's a key ingredient in happiness. You know, Harvard has done this study for 75 years where they've tracked a group of 200 plus graduates from 75 years ago. And they've checked in with them every single year, seeing how they are, their emotional health, physical health. And do you know the one thing that the happiest people in the group have in common some people in the group are really famous. Kennedy was in that group originally. So these are really famous, well-accomplished people. But the one thing that the people in the group are the happiest have in common is the strength of their relationships with people in their lives. Mm, Think of how yeah. amazing that is, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, kindness is the best way to fuel our relationships. So that's the third daily anchor. That's my third practice is intentional kindness. Um, the fourth one is what I call the bigger why, um, it's having a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. I don't think it's possible for us to truly, truly be happy if we don't feel like we have a sense of purpose in our lives. But a huge misconception that I used to have is I used to think that having a sense of meaning is, is something really grand, like, and in order to find it, I need to go like on a pilgrimage to like the mountains of the Himalayas and I need to like <laughs> meditate for a year and then like... My sense of meaning is just going to like boom emerge and I have to give up my life to find it. But what I've discovered through my own experience and also a lot of research is actually incredibly inspiring. And that is our sense of meaning comes from looking within our current lives as they are. And here's what I mean. So, um, uh, we derive. there's three there's two components to meaning and this comes from um a really uh well known psychologist martin seligman he's at the university of pennsylvania he's known as the father of positive psychology i've been really influenced by his work and i love how he defines meaning as having two pieces first it's connecting to something that is uh something uniquely that we're good at and then the second piece is sharing that with the world using that Help someone else or a cause or a craft or another person. So it's connecting the best of us in order to help someone other than ourselves. And that's, if you think about it, that actually can come down really to the tiniest things we do in our days today. So, one of the things I love to do, one of my favorite ways to practice this is when I make my to do list for the day, even though I'm in tech, I still write it down. As I make my to do's, I ask myself, how does this to do? help someone else. So the to-do can be, um, okay, here we go. Let's use this one. My to-do was on my to-do list was to send you my bio. Okay. Like that seems like a simple to-do. What does that have to do with having a sense of meaning? Well, who does that help? Well, I think recording this podcast can help a lot of people find more genuine joy in their lives. So immediately that means putting my bio together for you is not just putting my bio together. It's actually something I'm doing to help other people and to connect something that I'm really good at teaching people about how to be happier and helping others. So I actually call this a to-do list makeover. So if you just look at some of your to-dos on your to-do list and ask yourself, how does this help someone else? The most mundane, annoying tasks give you a sense of meaning.
0: That's brilliant.
1: Connecting something you're doing that that you're good at with helping others. So I do that every morning when I make my to-do list, at least three of the to-dos, I ask myself, how does this help someone else? And you know, the best way it works is, you know how we all have those to-dos that are really annoying that we're like resisting, right? We all have them. Those ones, if we ask ourselves, how does this help someone else? Actually connecting to that sense of meaning in our to-dos, not only like gives us a sense of meaning and makes us happier. It actually makes them easier to do. So that's my fourth daily anchor is to connect to something that gives me a sense of purpose. And my fifth one is self-care. And this is actually something that for years, for most of my life, including for a couple of years as I was running happier, that I had the hardest time with. Because self-care, taking time to do something to nourish ourselves, requires that we actually practice self-love. And for me, this was really, really hard. It was very hard for me to accept myself or love myself unconditionally for most of my life. I had to earn it. You know, that voice in my head was kind of like, well, you're not good enough yet. Like you haven't done this right, or you made this mistake, or you heard this person, or you haven't yet achieved enough. And I'm saying this because I think most of us can relate to having that voice in our head. And the practice of self-care, one thing I want to say about it is, what I try to do is I practice it even on days where I hear that voice. Because through practice, we can cultivate the feeling. And it's actually a concept that comes from yoga. There's this very powerful concept in uh, yoga called the samskara. And samskara is an emotional groove in our mind. And it comes from our repeated behavior. So if we get angry a lot, it's very easy for us to get angry because that emotional groove of anger gets very deep. So it's like ski tracks, it's very easy to slip into it. But the beautiful thing about these emotional grooves is we can cultivate the ones that we want. So, what the yogis learned is when we do something kind, even if we don't feel kind, if we do it consistently, we'll actually start experiencing kindness. The same thing with self-care. So even if we feel guilty taking time to do something to nourish ourselves, which I know many of us busy people do, or if we think we don't deserve it, if we just stay consistent and do it, we'll cultivate the feelings of self-love and acceptance. So my self-care practice, um, there's one of a couple of things I do every day. So on most days, I take a long walk. It's something that really nourishes me. So that's a practice of self-care. Or I'll take a yoga class. Um, or even something as small as like taking out one of my favorite books and reading a couple of pages just really comforts me. Um, that's a practice of self-care. But what I try to do is every day practice something that nourishes my mind, body or soul in some way. Even on days where I'm like, oh, I don't have time for this or I feel guilty taking time for myself or I don't deserve it. I practice because through practice we cultivate the feeling. So those are that's my daily routine. Those are my five daily anchors: stillness and silence for a few minutes to practice that cultivating the witness, gratitude, intentional kindness, a sense of meaning, and connecting it to something that I'm already doing, and then some kind of self care.
0: That was brilliant. I, I love that so much, especially since all of those things are so tangible mm-hmm. um, and it's stuff that we're already doing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like. I've always felt like self care, for me at least, is. And it took me a while to realize this too. Um, I used to also work corporate America, hustle, 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 constantly, and and one thing I realized is that if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. Right. This
1: is, I think, one of the most, and I love that you're saying that. And I want to like interrupt you, pause on that. I think it's a huge insight. This actually for me is what, you know, I talked about the fact that I really burnt out and I got a couple of years ago as I was running happier, you know, I'm a CEO of a happiness company on the front page of the New York Times tech section, you know, looking all happy and joyful on my orange happier branded mini, but inside I was not a really a functioning human. You know, I was really struggling personally. I thought, you know, my marriage was over, my life was over, the company was over, but And I can talk about kind of the reasons why I think I got there. But one of the things that was a turning point for me to get me on a path to practicing self care was the realization that I could not be a good mom or a good wife or a good CEO or a good daughter or a good granddaughter or a good friend unless I took care of myself. It was that realization. I mean, I'm going to be dramatic and say I think it really saved my life because I lived in such a state of doubt and fear and not allowing myself to take care of myself, not even allowing myself to face my emotions. So I think it's so powerful. And this is actually when I give talks and speeches and I do workshops, I actually end my talks this way. And I say, I know there's people who are listening to us talk right now who, yeah, 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 it's all makes sense, but they're still skeptical to invest this time in ourselves, right? Because that voice of doubt and guilt can be so powerful. And so what I say is okay, if you don't, if you can't do this for yourself, here's what I want you to think about is you cannot give what you don't have. And that's exactly what you said. And I think it's so Mm. powerful. I have this written in my journal everywhere is you can't give what you don't have. We cannot, you know, I often ask, and I'll do this now, like to the listeners, like take a moment and think of a person in your life that you really love, right? Like I always think of my daughter, Mia, who is 13 and you know, the love of my life. And if I asked you, like, what kind of life do you want that person to have? I think most of us would say something very similar, right? I think we'd say we want that person to be happy and fulfilled and, you know, have a life with people they love and cared for, right? We'd all say the same thing. Well, here's the thing. The only way we can actually help those people have that is if we invest in doing this work within ourselves, because Mm -hmm. we can only give what we have. And the thing is for years, I denied this for years. I thought like I was a smarter, right? Like I didn't take care of myself, but I thought like, oh, but I can be an amazing mom or a wife or a CEO. That's why I burnt out. My tank was completely empty. And so I think it's so important this point that we can only give to others what we have within ourselves. So if we run ourselves dry, if we don't fuel ourselves, if we don't take care of our mind, our soul, or our body, we cannot help people in our life live these fulfilling lives that we wish for them.
0: I love that so much. And it's something that I've tried to practice um, on a daily basis. And you know, and I want to kind of segue into that actually. You know, it I think it takes a lot of like you mentioned, it takes practice to create this to cultivate and create this attitude that you can find a lot of joy in simple things. Um, Do you have any tips or advice that you can give Myself, listeners, to kind of get away from this mindset that you know we have to have something down the road or that big thing is what we need, and 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 find the same level of fulfillment in the daily things. And and because I, I've, I mean, I've experienced it myself, and I see you, and and you're like, it. I see the change, and yeah. it, it it sounds, it feels good to just hear what you're saying. Um, like I would love to have that type of insight and to like find the same appreciation of little things, and. Like, so do you have any insight that you could share with people?
1: Well, I do actually, <laughs> <Shocker>. <laughs> um, yeah, but I say it that way because if you talked to me, uh, six years ago, I would think it's kind of absurd, actually. I thought it was absurd when I first encountered like the practice of gratitude, which is the most powerful way to find more joy in everyday moments. I thought it was absurd, to be honest. I thought it was crazy that, you know, pausing to enjoy little moments was gonna fill me with any kind of meaningful happiness because I was certain that any any meaningful happiness had to come from working really, really, really hard then achieving something really huge and then I would be happy, right? This mindset of I'll be happy when... And I want our listeners to pause. And now that I've said it, you're going to catch yourself next time you think it. We all think it. I still think it, even though this is my work. This idea of I'll be happy when, right? I'll be happy when I start that company. I finish my chapter. I get a promotion. I lose 10 pounds, gain 10 pounds. You know, I meet the person in my dreams. We're kind of trained to think that way. And So I want to first just share some of the problems with that thinking. Um, uh, And the problems are, uh, they've been fairly well researched, actually biologically. So um, our brain comes (laughs) into the forefront again. So here's the problem with that line of thinking that once we achieve something big, we'll be happy. So one of the things our brain is fantastic at is being adaptive, right? It actually what helps us survive. So human beings, we're incredibly adaptive. Our brain is so good at getting used to bad and good things. Now, when we achieve something, we do feel happiness, no, no doubt. But have you ever caught yourself feeling that it's like a bubble of happiness and then it bursts? Yeah. Like you feel really happy, but then you don't. And like I used to be like, like what the heck? like what just happened? Like I worked so hard to write this book or start this company or get this job and it's a week and I'm not happy anymore. Well, the thing is nothing happened. Your brain did its job. Your brain has adapted. So that's become your new baseline. It's the new normal. So what used to seem as special and unique and amazing, the brain has gone now. Oh, okay. This is our new job. Okay. We're used to it set the new target. And there's actually, there's some researchers that suggest there's an evolutionary reason for this. The evolution requires us to keep creating, to keep moving, Uh, to keep going. And so our brain has evolved to really quickly adapt to all the new achievements because it really needs us to keep going, to achieve the next thing, to build more. Now that's fantastic for the human species. It's not that fantastic for individual happiness if our happiness depends on those achievements because we become like drug addicts. And I mean this very literally. For me, my chase of happiness through achievements made me an addict of achievements because the problem is I needed a bigger one every time. Because since our brain gets used to it, well, you achieve this new job, your brain felt happy, it got used to it. Guess what? Just another new job is not gonna do it it's going to have to be something bigger and better. And so we want more, we buy more stuff. And the thing is we all medicate in different ways, right? We buy stuff, we watch too much TV, we drink, we achieve too much. And that's all because our brain is adapting. So that's one of the, I kind of want to start with that, that biologically it's almost impossible for us to be happy if we're relying on those peak experiences. Another piece I want to mention before I kind of talk about strategies and techniques is, there's a tremendous body of research that shows that it's the frequency of small positive experiences rather than big peak experiences that contributes most consistently to our well being. So it is now in the research that it's the little things and our appreciation of them that contributes to our well being and not the big things. And again, it has to do with the same adaptation principle it's easier to have some more frequent, small, positive experiences. I mean, how many peak experiences can we have in our life? And if our happiness depends on them, then for the reasons we just discussed, we really can feel happy. So kind of given that uh, background and that biological setup, um, here's some of kind of my favorite strategies for that. Um, so again, gratitude, and I can, I'm just going to be harping on gratitude nonstop because it's so simple to practice, but it's such a powerful way to find appreciation in those daily moments. So I used to think of um, the way I talk about it in my book is when I started to practice gratitude, it was almost like this magnifying lens that all of a sudden magnified joy that was already there. So one of my favorite things about gratitude is you don't have to change anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to cleanse your soul, go anywhere, add another to do What it simply allows us to do is to uncover, to be like, I think of it as like a detective, right? You're with this uh, magnifying lens where instead of just running through the moments of your day, you're pausing in some of them and appreciating them, honoring them with your attention. That is the only thing that's required. So one of the ways I think about it is, um, one of the tips I would suggest, so in addition to making gratitude a daily anchor, so maybe every morning as you're brewing your coffee, writing down three things that you appreciate, um, or every night thinking about what you appreciate about your day. Uh, uh, here's one of my other favorite gratitude antidotes. Um, and this is truly like one of my favorite practices. So think of something that frequently annoys you. Um, for me, it's cars honking. I don't know why, but like when I'm driving or I'm like in my office, I don't know why, like, you know, that car <laughs> yeah. honk? like
0: it I know. Just yeah. gets
1: to you. And I'm just like, Ugh! like you
0: sound like a New Yorker.
1: I am a New Yorker, but the thing is I should be, get used to it. Right. I lived in New York for <laughs> 10 years. And to this day, like that, and eh, I'm like, Oh, and like, it could just like take me out of my Zen very quickly. So here's what I started to do. Every time I hear a car honk, I think of something I appreciate. I use it as a cue. And it's actually an amazing practice because I does brilliant. two things. So every time I hear the car honk, instead of going down the spiral of getting annoyed, I immediately practice gratitude, which actually helps me not do that. And all of a sudden, because there's car honks every day. So I've built in this natural reminder to find something that I appreciate about my day. So my suggestion would be, think of something that you encounter every day that is often frustrating. Traffic, cars honking, your alarm in the morning. Like my daughter uses this. She hates to get up in the morning. When she hears her alarm, she's like, oh, okay, that's a great time to actually think of something you appreciate. So especially powerful in the morning or early in the day, because research shows the way we start our day really impacts how we feel for the rest of the day. So using that gratitude antidote technique to find a moment that you appreciate early in the day can really set you up for having a better day overall. So that's another technique. And my third one, so it's the daily anchor gratitude practice, a gratitude antidote. So find a cue in something that stresses you out. And every time that happens, practice gratitude. And my kind of third um, technique or tip to kind of appreciate more everyday moments is um, perhaps more of a philosophical one, but it's a huge perspective shift. So uh, there is a lot of research that shows that consistent practice of gratitude actually builds our resilience. To get through challenges. And so learning to appreciate the little things actually helps us to achieve the big things because it Mm, gives us the resilience to get through the many challenges that will meet us on the way there. So at times where you might be skeptical or I still become skeptical sometimes, like I call myself a happiness skeptic because from time to time, I'm still like, "No, no, 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 I really like, I really like, I'll be really happy when my book becomes a bestseller, right? I catch myself doing that. The thing is, the more joy that I find in everyday moments, like enjoying my cup of coffee or a moment, a hug with my daughter, or you know, catching that beautiful moment at sunset and actually being in traffic as it's happening and being like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. The more that I do that, I'm actually building resilience for those challenges that are definitely going to come on the way to making my book a bestseller, right? to doing my work. And so... When I became aware of that research, it was kind of this extra boost to recognize that sticking to this practice and appreciating those little moments isn't just giving me more joy, but it's actually helping me achieve those bigger things that I really
0: care about. I love that. That is, that's, that's so brilliant. Just this idea that, and it it feels really empowering too, because, you know, by, by seeing that the little things can fuel some of the big things in our life. Mm-hmm. It actually incentivizes to us to be happier. That simple frame that you just did was, was amazing. Uh, I, I know I say this a lot. I probably said this at least 10 times on, on this Not, podcast you know alone. I'll
1: take it. Cause you know what else <laughs> makes you happier? Getting compliments.
0: Well, that's I will. Really
1: true. So I'll, I'll do this. We'll, we'll do that. I'll do this all day long. All
0: right. Well, I'll, I'll keep giving them. Uh, Cause you know, and that's another thing giving, I, I think back to what you were saying, giving compliments makes me feel good. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, just spreading love. And, and, and I, I love this. I love everything that you stand for and everything you're doing. And I think you're doing such an amazing job. Um, I wanted to, to ask one question. You know, we talk a lot about happiness and, and, and being happy and being happy. But uh, the inevitable part of life is that we're also sad and we're also upset and we're also angry and we're yes. also hurt disappointed, jealous. I mean, there are a lot of emotions that we might feel. So in the midst of when you feel that way, how do you stay grounded? How do you, how do you bring yourself back to uh, your anchors or, or, or or how do you bring yourself back to a place of, of, of joy, like coming from, from those places?
1: Totally. So I love this question. I'm going to try not to talk for an hour about it because this is actually, (laughs) you probably know, this is like one of my big things and something that I feel, um, We don't talk enough about in the world, including when we talk about happiness. So uh, I want to share, I'm going to try to keep it short, but a couple of thoughts. So first of all, you know, um, one of the reasons I wrote my book, um, because I already was sharing my message in different ways. But one of the reasons I wrote my book is because even as I was running happier, even as I was practicing gratitude and kindness, I got to that really dark part of my life that I mentioned. So why did I get there, right? I was doing all these practices. Well, the reason I got there is because I never learned this really critical happiness skill. And that is how to be okay with not being okay. And I want to say this again, a critical skill to truly, genuinely, unconditionally living a fulfilling, happier life is learning how to be unhappy. I actually, Mm. this is to me is the huge missing piece. I never allowed myself to actually feel the sadness that I felt, to feel fear, to feel self-doubt. I mean, think of it. I was a refugee, not speaking English, living in the projects, going to eighth grade. I mean, can you imagine what those eighth graders did to me?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Like I we care. are not nice in eighth grade. Okay. So that's for a different podcast, but I had a really, really rough couple of years. I never, I come from a culture you know, Russian Jews, we're not a culture that talks about our emotions. We're not a culture that mm. talks about challenges because you just sort of button it up and you push through and you keep going. And look, that fighter spirit really helped. It helped my family escape and survive. But I never actually even acknowledged that I was feeling all those things. So I, for 25 years, I just collected. Every time I felt what we call a negative emotion of self, of stress or fear or self-doubt, I would run away. First, I ran away through achievements. So every time I felt it, I like literally would start a new company or write a new book. <laughs> but no, no joke, like I was an addict, right? And then yeah. when I discovered gratitude, gratitude became my escape, right? So anytime I felt sad or stressed, I was like, okay, okay, let's practice gratitude. And I overachieved at gratitude. But the thing is, gratitude is not a band aid. We cannot put it over all of those other completely natural human emotions that we call negative, I call difficult, right? Because Mm. there is so much research that shows that when we pause to acknowledge, simply acknowledge a difficult emotion that we're experiencing. so, So literally saying, I feel sad, or I have fear, or I am stressed. We immediately reduce the intensity and duration that we feel them think about it. Simply acknowledging that we may be feeling something difficult helps us to get through it faster. And the reason for that, I find it such a powerful insight. The reason for that is uh, when we experience an emotion, it's the back of our brain, that amygdala, that reptile brain, the fight or flight, that's the part that's responsible for emotion. So when we experience an emotion, we're kind of, you ever feel like you're consumed by it, right? Like you're all stressed out, like you're totally overwhelmed. When we acknowledge it, when we say to ourselves, I feel stressed out, we move from the amygdala to the frontal cortex, to that part of our brain that analyzes, that plans, that observes. So instead of being consumed by our emotion, we are now a little bit witnessing it. We're observing it. We're now have a little bit of distance from it. And that dramatically reduces the intensity with which we feel it. We're no longer captured by it. We're not victim to it. We're able to have it and we recognize it's not the only thing we feel. So to me, I say this now again, I could talk for hours about this because I did not have this wisdom for most of my life. And my inability to acknowledge my fear of having these negative emotions, I didn't think I could like as an entrepreneur, as a CEO of a company called Happier, how could I admit to myself that I felt fear? How do I admit to anyone else that I was so stressed out and self-doubtful? So I never allowed myself to even acknowledge. The thing is, just because we run from our emotions doesn't mean they go anywhere. And what happened to me is a few years ago, in the middle of running Happier, all of that pain just came out and everything in my life went back black. And I, I mean, I didn't want to wake up in the morning. I don't know how to say this without being dramatic about it. I, It affected everything, my marriage, my family, the company. I was a terrible CEO. I was making awful decisions. And I got to a really breaking point. And it was that breaking point and um, recognizing that I could not go on that way that really led me on this journey to learn about this other piece of being happier. And that is the skill of learning how to acknowledge difficult emotions, how to get through them, how to not fear them. And that's why I wanted to write this book. Because to me, you know, initially you asked the question of like, how do we deal with unhappiness to be happy again? I actually think that my definition of happiness is not a state that's void of negative emotion. I think true, genuine happiness is our ability to embrace all of our emotions. So I actually think that acknowledging and feeling difficult emotions is part of what I call genuine happiness. Because once we learn to do it, we don't fear them so much. We don't fear... You ever catch yourself, I hear from so many people that even when they feel good, they like don't allow themselves to really enjoy that good feeling because they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're waiting for something to go wrong. So they don't even enjoy the good moments. Well, if we learn how to acknowledge and get through difficult emotions with compassion, we don't have to fear them. So we can enjoy the good moments in our lives without that fear. So again, this is to me a huge, huge message that I want to get across. And that is a huge part of learning how to live happier is learning how to be okay with not being okay. Um, so I want to share just a couple of like very tactical ways to do that. Because again, I can go on for hours and this is the big reason I wrote my book. But one of the first things, as I already mentioned, so when we feel a difficult emotion, a really important practice is to acknowledge it. Right. And what I mean by acknowledging it is literally say it to yourself. Uh, write it down because the, the very act of doing that cultivates that witness. It gives you a little bit of that distance so that you can accept the emotion rather than fight with it. Um, there's a, a, a lot of research that shows that we spend so much of our emotional energy fighting with our emotions. So you ever feel stressed about being stressed?
0: Oh yeah. All the time.
1: Okay. All the time. So think about that. We feel stressed. And then we feel stressed that we're so stressed, right? You ever catch yourself like, oh my God, I wish I didn't feel so stressed. I wish I was calmer. I wish that is wasting emotional energy. And the thing is we don't have unlimited resources, emotional resources. We have a limited capacity to feel different emotions. So we're creating suffering for ourselves. So acknowledging, just learning this, just that very simple practice that when you feel that difficult emotion, can you acknowledge it? Can you, First, start with that acknowledgement. Write it down. Say it to yourself. The second is, and that's where that practice, the daily anchor of stillness and acceptance comes. Can you learn to spend a few moments with that emotion before you run away from it? So um, I use this practice, and it's the title of a book of one of my favorite spiritual teachers whom I've never met, Ram Das, but I can h- consider him my teacher. He's got this amazing book. It's called Be Here Now. And um That's the practice of when you feel that difficult emotion rise up before you try to escape it or fix it or do something to change it or distract yourself, which is our first instinct. Can you just ask yourself to be here now? Can you just ask yourself to experience it? Because in our allowing of ourselves to feel that emotion, it's going to be reduced in its intensity. And my third kind of technique, my third practice is what I call a difficult feeling interview. Actually, one of the practices I have in my book, uh, my book is filled with these little practices. I think at last count, it was like 40 of these little practices. (laughs) Um, Because it is all about these little practices, right? So a difficult feeling interview, it's very simple. Go something like this. So the next time you experience like a difficult feeling, stress, sadness, fear, conduct a little interview with yourself about it. So ask yourself questions about it. So ask yourself, uh, when did I start feeling this way? Uh, Why do I think I feel this way? Uh, My favorite question is, is this feeling helpful? This is one of my favorite insights. And uh, there's other questions you can probably ask yourself. That little practice is so empowering because it does two things. First of all, again, the minute you ask interviews about that feeling, you're getting out of that amygdala and you're moving into the part of your brain where you're not consumed by that feeling, but you're able to see that you are bigger than that feeling. And it's just something that you feel. But the second is our difficult feelings teach us a lot. We can actually learn a lot about our difficult feelings. If we pause to acknowledge them about how we can gain more joy. So I'll give you an example. Um, I was just at this conference summit for four days and it was crazy and overwhelming and amazing and busy, but I had a bunch of guilt about not being at home with my husband and my daughter. I left for four days. I try not to travel on the weekend. So I had a bunch of guilt about it. And I actually did this practice on the plane back. I was like, okay, why am I so stressed out? Cause I was just really stressed out. I was like, why am I so stressed out? I just went to this great thing. And the more I asked myself, I recognize well, I'm stressed out because I feel guilty. Why do I feel guilty? Well, cause I'm away for four days. Well, I learned something about myself and it actually elucidated a bunch of little things I could do. I FaceTimed back home. Um, I started writing little notes from every session I went to and just texting them to my husband and my daughter, which made me feel like they were with me. Not huge things, but I felt more connected. I felt kinder. I felt more joyous. I didn't feel as guilty. So that practice of doing a little interview with myself about my stress actually brought me to understanding there were a couple little things I could do to feel more joy and more connection with my family. So those are my like three little tips for how to deal with a difficult emotion. But I want to kind of end this segment by just, again, this like, this is my like thing on the pulpit of shifting the perspective that we have that happiness is void of negative emotions, and instead thinking of it as a more expansive practice of embracing all of our emotions And not judging ourselves so harshly for having the difficult ones, but learning how to acknowledge them, accept them and learn from them, which actually helps us to get through them.
0: Natalie, you are amazing. I have no other words to describe you as a person. Um, Thank you for sharing all of this incredible insight. Um, I think that happiness and, and sadness for that matter are things that aren't talked about enough. I agree. Uh, they're almost like taboo subjects, mm-hmm. um, especially for people who are in different cultures and, and people mm-hmm. who are hustling or working towards mm-hmm. things and, and uh, work life balance just isn't something that's, that's talked about enough. And mm-hmm. so I appreciate you for being somebody who is making it their mission to help others have a little bit more of this amazing thing we call happiness in their day-to-day lives. And um, so I do want to wrap, uh, I. Definitely think that our listeners are going to want you to come back. So, um, we'll Happy to do it. Would love you, love to have you back soon. But I do want to wrap this up. So you have your book coming out in in May.
1: It comes out in May, uh, but folks can come to happier.com and pre order it very yep. soon.
0: Absolutely, and like folks, um, like I said, Natalie's got a wonderful app. Um, it's the Happier app. You can download it on her website, which is www happier.com.
1: Yep. And you can also come, if you come to the website, you can subscribe to my email, which I write myself every week. Every email you get is written by myself. And in it, I share these little practices. That's what I do in my email.
0: I'm on her email list and I look forward to reading her emails every week. So everybody, uh, I'd highly recommend checking out Natalie and all of her amazing work. Uh, Again, Natalie, thank you so much for being here. I've learned a lot and I know that our listeners uh, probably have too. And so, um, yeah, uh, thank you. And uh, folks, uh, so that's a wrap for this, uh, this week's episode of the stay grounded podcast. I'm your host Raj Jana, And uh, in the meantime, stay grounded. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of the stay grounded podcast brought to you by Java press coffee company. My name is Raj. And I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to make daily happiness a priority. If you're interested in learning more about how your morning coffee can turn into a consistent source of joy in your life, visit www.javapress.com to learn how our products can help you do that and use the coupon code podcast for 10% off your purchase. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.